0: G'day film fans, I'm Dave. And I'm John. There's no Jeff today,
1: but welcome back to The Love of Cinema, a podcast in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies, both new and old, with a strictly positive critical eye.
0: That's right, and to keep us honest, we make this a drinking game. Oh yeah, <laughs> baby! <laughs> Anybody says anything negative about a film, each other, the world, whatever, you're going to hear this sound, <clears throat> and that means we're drinking. So, pour yourselves a glass, we're going back to... Uh, 1958? Eight, baby. Cheers, My buddy. head's already spinning. Because <laughs> we're Dave, talking about vertigo.
1: We're going to be talking about the year 1958. Just a moment. I'll kind of give you a little bit of a, a wrap-up, stuff something usually Jeff does, uh, just to give you kind of some context, mm. big movies of the year, some numbers, some awards. But um, any news at the top of the show other than, I just wanted to, to gently point out, of course, things are... Very, very intense uh, in the Middle East right now. That's terrible. But um, yes. here on the home front, uh, we have patiently been kind of watching and waiting for updates on the sag a strike and the AMPTP walked out of <laughs> negotiations. They got one, yeah. <laughs> so that, cool. was, that was unexpected. I think some people, a lot of people were anticipating them being a little bit Bit pushy and bitter. Yeah, i I feel like it was. Try-
0: a, I feel like it was a flex. It was like, don't think for a second we're giving in on what we gave in on the writers' stuff. Um, it was kind of. I think that might have been to reset the table.
1: Well, just to give people some context, the main negotiating point, as far as I understand, of course, we are not part of the negotiating committee. But reading articles, listening to people talk to me that have maybe some connections to people who are in that world. Um, There is one negotiating point that is really the sticking point for for both sides. And just so everybody understands that it's not SAG-AFTRA who just came back in these new negotiations and is trying to do something that they and PTP might consider completely unreasonable after their negotiation success with WGA. SAG-AFTRA initially, before the strike, this was a part of their offer or what they they want. They want a 2% residual stake attached to all streaming products basically so Mm. that means they are proposing that they either use uh some current systems that have basically third-party systems that have basically been used for marketing purposes to try to determine the quality of a show based on current streamers they use a lot of different um qualifications to arrive at that number. Whereas the streamers will basically say, as they always do, we're not going to actually give you those numbers. And those third parties don't actually reflect an accuracy. So we don't understand how to arrive at that number. I think SAG is basically just saying, we can all figure out a way to arrive at that fucking number. So let's let's figure out a way to find that number. (laughs) But unfortunately they've hit a stalemate because I'm sure the AMPTP is trying to give them exactly what the WGA and the DGA got in terms of this depreciating residual space over the first, you know, 90 days of the show has to hit to 20% of the streamer subscriber base, yada yada yada. Bottom line, this is really disappointing. I think everybody hmm. is totally on SAG-AFTRA side. They want this to work. I think the actors' union feels that this is a reasonable request. Again, they walked away from the negotiating table, or both parties walked away from the negotiating table back at the when they began to strike with this already hmm. on the table. So yeah. this is not something new that they're reaching for. And the MTPTP is like, what is this? They knew this was there. And I think they are just going to be fucking assholes about it until, until some, yeah. and I think. Hey, at just least, they, like at the least past- they're not
0: trying to pull what they did last time, which is, oh, don't worry about that streaming thing. It's not going to catch on. Like, don't worry about that. And they, they almighty, let it slip. Dude. So Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I'm sure there's a whole bunch of language for AI that is pertaining strictly to the way SAG-AFTRA is choosing to interpret it that I haven't heard anything about yet. Hmm. I know they have different, you know, they're going to have different language than the WGA had. So anyway, kind of a bummer over here. I know in the context of world issues, this is still, you know, not the same stakes. And of course we say that with respect, but the town is still on pause. Uh, Productions are still on pause and the schedules are being pushed back for next year. Um, I have, an actor in my family who's been on the show before, who is on pins and needles. And all the actors I know in, in this town are really frustrated yeah. that this is going back to what seems like we, we went through with the WGA all fucking ready. What is going on AMPTP? Mm. Just give them what they want. Let's figure it out. You're going to give them what they want. Let's just find a number and let's get to it. Let's fucking get back to well, work. dude. I was, I was actually
0: <laughs> on a show call a couple of weeks ago. Um, and a lot of the people there were from like because I I am in local one over here, which is stagehands, yeah. and a lot of people on the on the the show call and the the loading and loadouts were like local fifty two and local six hundred, which is like set dresses and um, right. I think it's yeah set dresses and uh, like cinematographers. They mm-hmm. were included in our like IADC call, so oh cool yeah they kind of expanded the field and gave everyone a little bit of work to keep them going.
1: That's good. I mean, this, Yeah, I, I could just, you know, the town is like, pe- every, all the dramatic horror story, Like, it's happening. People have, yeah. are really against the wall. It's just, and it just like the hope that came out of the WGA signing that it, for the yeah. most part, most people still in that union and around town think that it's a really amazing deal and a good first step for the first three years before they renegotiate. This has just been kind of like a sock to the gut where they're just like, oh, my God, again, like how long are they going to do it this time? Hmm. Anyway, so that's what's happening in in the town over here. And it's having an effect on all the unions across all entertainment in the United States, of course. Um, Dave's having an effect on our show, which is
0: why we're doing the random year generator again, because everybody is (laughs) shifting their shit to 2024. I'm, I'm and, so uh,
1: glad. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to the Random Year Generator. We're yeah, pretty good Yeah, it seems to be numbers. popular. We,
0: like, a lot of people on YouTube are loving it. Keep I coming, it. YouTube. Keep coming. We yes. want to hit that 1,000 subscriber mark. We've only got like 900 to go. Oh, come on. Which, is, which <laughs> is so sad.
1: Come on, love cinema listeners. Tell your friends. Let's get to the year of 1958. We have chosen Vertigo by Mr. Alfred Hitchcock. We'll, we'll get to that Why in just a yeah? moment. Why wouldn't you? It just seemed like a go to. But just to hit you with a little bit of context and facts and stuff, highest grossing movie of 1958. And again, you know, this is before things were so international and had completely different market standards and distribution levels. But just to give you some context, the highest grossing movie of 1958 was South Pacific. Came in with like almost 37 million. Um, About 10, about 13 million behind it is Anti Mame. Then we've got movies like mm-hmm. *Cat on a Hot Tin Roof*, *The Big Country*, *Snow White*, and *The Seven Dwarfs* coming in sixth place. Nice, uh, Will. I think it, if we remember in our whenever our big Disney or Pixar animations and our blockbuster face-off, there were there was almost always one in the top ten, and this was probably the first year that happened, right, with the the OG. Um, yeah, so there's some other major movies from that year, just to give you some some ideas, because I'm going to read off some Academy Awards stuff. But some of the movies that I think of from that year are nowhere to be seen in the Academy Awards. So I wanted to just tap a few um, just to give us some idea. The Big Country will be there. Vertigo will be there a little bit. But we have movies like The Blob, Horace and mm. Wells's Touch of Evil, the original The Fly, um, A Night to Remember about the Titanic, I've never um, seen the
0: original *The Fly*.
1: I, I should check that out at some point. I have never seen it either, man. I know we we chatted briefly yeah. about doing it, but didn't like I've do seen, it. I've
0: seen the Jeff Goldblum one.
1: That was awesome. Of course, of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we also have uh, Akira Kurosawa's *The Hidden Fortress*, which I believe a little a young man watched in uh, before he in Fresno, and then he came to school in Southern California, and then wrote *Star Wars*. So, is, mm-hmm. isn't that the one? Isn't the Hidden Fortress, the one that *Star Wars* is
0: based on. Um, I, I think elements of it, yes.
1: Yeah, I think I think that is like Rescuing the Princess, Another Land. Like, I think this is the one that is loosely the structure of Star Wars, um, or at least the thematic elements. Uh, we have something, uh, we have a few other I'll mention. Um, Louis Malle's Elevator to the Gallows. That movie's fucking awesome. International, not American, but worth mentioning. Miles Davis wrote an incredible score about that. Uh, Gigi, which we will definitely hear more about in a moment with the Oscars. Um, Damn Yankees. Attack of the 50-foot woman. Yeah. We okay, forget about that one. Uh, <laughs> the Defiant Ones. We'll hear a little bit about that more. And then there was just one uh Shadows. I just want to mention uh John Cassavetes made what is considered the first independent uh, American film, anyway, which he kind of got there almost before a lot of the French Wave people got there and ended up having an enormous effect. Uh so Shadows is there. The Young Lions, Monocle by um Jacques Tati. And uh, room at the top. I'll I'll just I'll stop there. So that's just some movies from the from that yeah. year in terms of Oscars. Because remember the list were changing. Sometimes they were shorter, five. They did go up larger at, at a little bit later. But right now they were still at five. So here are the nominees and, for the best and, motion picture. And of you're welcome. You're
0: welcome, folks. Because if Jeff was here, that list would have gone on another five fucking minutes. I'm trying to keep it tight. I love this. Song. I
1: love listening. to Jeff talk about this? I'm like I'm like missing out on him saying it. Um. Nominees for Best Motion Picture of 1950. So this is the 1959 ceremony for the movies of 1958. Nominees are Anti Main, Cat on the Hot Tin Roof, The Defiant Ones, Separate Tables, which I've never seen, and Gigi. Winner is Gigi. I still I've never seen that mm. movie. Um it cleaned <sighs> up, it did really well this year, the motion pictures. I'll just hit the big five awards How the remake here and then. Go. <laughs> 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 Together again, right? They made it back. <laughs> uh, best actor is David Niven in Separate Tables, beating out Tony Curtis, Paul Newman, Sydney Poitier, and Spencer Tracy. Uh, Spencer Tracy was nominated for The Old Man of the Sea, Sydney Poitier, The Defiant Ones, Count on Roof, Paul Newman, Tony Curtis, The Defiant Ones. Pretty fucking amazing roles there. Yeah. I have never seen Separate Tables. So I've heard it's good. Actor in a supporting role, Burr Lives for The Big Country, um, some of the other classics there, actress, Susan Hayward for a film called I want to live exclamation <laughs> point. I have never, I have never seen that movie. I have never heard of that movie. Honestly, I feel kind of bad. She beat out Shirley MacLaine, uh, Rosalind Russell, Elizabeth Taylor and Deborah Kerr. Wow. Good for her. Uh, let's just go over to a uh, supporting actress. I'll say her Wendy Hiller for Separate Tables. I
0: need to see. I need to see. Yeah, that Separate Tables. Right? Yeah, yeah. Apparently, everyone needs to see Separate Tables.
1: Yeah. Uh, Cinematography, art direction. I want to point this one out just because Vertigo was only nominated for two awards this year. Think of it this way, folks. Alfred Hitchcock was simultaneously respected critically and also commercially. He was like the biggest artist on earth at that at this time. Like when he released a movie. People everywhere on planet Earth went to see it. Like, he was probably Hmm. the most biggest influential, but he was so commercially successful that sometimes it's important to think of him as, like, it's kind of like how maybe we would treat Spielberg or somebody. Like, he doesn't always get these artistic nods the way that, you know, unless he's making one of his very intentionally artistic movies. I think Vertigo was still... Supposed to be very commercially accessible and entertaining. But, you know, it's gone down in history to be such a classic. It's just funny to me. Yeah, It was not nominated for a lot of things.
0: Well, it got a very mixed uh, mis- reception when it was re- released. But well, I'm so excited to so, talk yeah. about it, dude. This was, I
1: kind of get it, right? We'll get to it. Uh, no Art Direction nominee, though. So I just wanted to point that out. Cinematography, the defiant one. Sam Levitt, beautifully shot movie. I love that movie. That was cinematography um, for black and white cinematography color because they still had two different things at the time is gg so joseph Ruttenberg, not surprising again costume design no vertigo in sight uh he's definitely got plenty of
0: costume design nominations with his movies gg right, cleaned up before we get through the whole list what was it nominated for
1: what was that let me, hold on let me just say gg uh, directing again no alfred no alfred he's not mm-hmm. nominated gg Vincent Manelli wins so we'll just skip down to um What he was nominated for, what he, what the film was nominated for, which was, um, sound, which it did not win, which is funny. Like whatever sound went to South Pacific. And the other nomination they got was for, um, uh, what was the other thing it was? Hold on. I got it right here. It was for best. No, wait, I lied to you. It's for black and white or color for, uh, art direction, and set direction. So art direction and set direction, which
0: I have here on the <laughs> like, list. Was the, was the set pointing the right way? Yes. All right. Give it an Honestly, Oscar. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so GG still cleaned up for that.
1: I just want to point out a couple that I think are insane to me. Bernard Herrmann not getting nominated for this score. This might be mm. his most famous score. <laughs> I mean, he's done a lot of really famous ones, a lot of famous Hitchcock ones. The Riff in Psycho might be his most famous, like, I mean, Psycho but is this is probably yeah. his most famous score. I think most people hear this and they know what movie it is. You can't say that for a lot of movies from back then, pre John Williams. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of crazy to think about, um, and just no uh, editing, no directing, no screenplay. I mean, it's just it's just kind of crazy to me. It's just interesting. So anyway. We will get to it. This is uh, 1958. This is Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. Just to sh- set us up with just a moment of context for him. Um, he was... Okay, so he had made, I think, To Catch a Thief in 1955, To Catch a Rear Window in 1954, Dial in for Murder in 1954, Strangers on a Train in 1951. So this decade was was very kind to him. He still had yeah. a bunch of really big ones. Uh, coming out of the 40s into the 50s. He was just he was just on top. The year after this, I think he comes back to Universal Studios. He had been at Paramount. He made his first movies at Universal after coming across the sea, and then he went to Paramount for a long time. And then when MCA re-bought Universal and kind of revamped the whole studio, they brought him back. And I think his first movie that he made there was North by Northwest, which is 1959. So this may have been his last movie while he was at Paramount, but he is on... I mean, just on top of the world. I mean, this guy's just just killing it. The man who knew too much. The wrong man. Suspicion. Vertigo. North by Northwest. Star time, and then Psycho. Within like five years, <laughs> I mean, it's just just fucking killing it. Um, but this movie had a of a, a kind of a mixed review. I think it still has some mm. mixed reception. It has gone on to have I, a I think
0: because a, 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 yeah. a lot of people iconic status, but a lot a lot of people had this thrown at them by their fifty year old drama teacher as Well, that was like their first exposure to it. They got sat down in their act in their, like their drama class and made you a, think so? You think this it's film you with think no context, no context whatsoever.
1: I mean, you've made, yeah, that, you've I, made I, that point before with like the Citizen Canes and stuff. Do you think this falls into that group
0: of like cinema you're supposed to watch? That's where I first saw it. Yeah, I was sat, I sat like down in one, a drama class and forced to watch it.
1: So, all right, so let's well, I mean, let's get to it, dude. Like, uh, first of all. When was the last time you had watched it, or you've he, you've seen it obviously in eighth grade drama class? But did you yes. have you watched it since then? No. Before for this week? Nope. Yeah. This was my first rewatch well, so since last, the eighth
0: grade.
1: <laughs> so your last Hitchcock was when we did Psycho, maybe a year and a half ago or something. Yeah. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. Um, what did you think, man? I'm always
0: I'm always a big fan of Rope. I like Rope. Oh yeah yeah Rope, rope is fun man, mainly because I'm a, I'm a fan of giant Uh um, Yeah, that is. That the movie is shot in like
1: it's several too reels, yeah. cuts. That's basically like so you it's can, too, you know, it's like have the illusion that it's ongoing. Yeah. It can't be two reels from back then, right? Because the film only held what was it, fifteen minutes, ten thousand feet of film, it was about fifteen minutes of footage. Apparently. So they must too, have had more than I that. I don't
0: know. Maybe. Yeah. Anyway. It's like it's like nineteen seventeen where everyone's like, Oh, we found all the cuts and Roger Deakins is like, No, you haven't.
1: <laughs> <was> like,
0: oh. <laughs> also jimmy stewart and
1: rope and he's back together at last with this guy jimmy stewart mm. was in a lot of his movies around this time um what
0: would you what do you think I of this just, one I, dude well just quickly i just want to get something off my chest because mm-hmm. uh, did you rent this or did you watch it on streaming i had to rent it did you re- yeah, watch okay. it on yeah, amc uh, plus yeah, cause or I, something i have amc plus because um like interview with the vampire I got into my wife was into Discovery of Witches all that sort of stuff so we still have the account because i I get them for 12 months because you know whatever. And nice. uh so I still had it on that and then I, I hit play and it comes up with uh due to streaming rights this will run with limited interruption. And it's like I'm sorry, right. I'm paying for a streaming service with like to have no fucking ads. And all of a sudden I get all these fucking ads where it just cuts out in the middle and it wasn't anything they're making money off. It was ads for their fucking programs. So what licensing bullshit are you doing? If you're putting your own ads Weird. in the middle of a fucking, yeah. Sort your licensing shit out people. Like, and I, I'm sick of shit moving from one network to the other. I should turn the gripe timer on to be honest. Well, do you
1: remember, uh, <laughs> Dave, do you remember when we used to have like cable and at least over here in America, like, it, that was always the last ad per commercial segment It was an ad for that network. Like the last one, that kind of, if I was ever able to like tape a movie mm. or something and fast forward, I knew I was about to get back to the movie because the last advertisement was always for yeah. coming soon on AMC or coming soon on blah, blah,
0: blah. That's that's your signal to run back from the toilet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Weird, dude. I mean, hey, hey. Yeah, what the fuck are we paying for? If you're, if you're, yeah. first of all, if you're going to have ads in there anyway, but also if it is ads for your own service, like, what we is the
0: benefit of that? You're already yeah, here. Don't put, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, it's like the fucking AMC uh, ad for going to the theater.
1: It's also like <laughs> them basically saying, please don't cancel us. Like, you yeah. may as well just have, like, put that up there in big, bold font. Like, yeah, there is something yeah. else coming. So silly. Yeah. well so I'm, I actually I actually bought it. It's available right now for 6.99 if anybody wants like a relatively cheap purchase on iTunes uh,
0: Vertigo is there for for less than cool. the typical 9.99. And you have to buy it on that cuz Best Buy doesn't have physical fucking media anymore. So it's oh, been a, it's really? been a fun we, yeah they started to phase it out. Everyone's phasing out the physical media.
1: Somebody ordered Although uh, Harry I Harry did
0: Craig I Lee. did I I did actually text the Matt and Mark movie show today because um it came out that uh our, one of our favorite films Um, for both of us, is uh, Super Mario Brothers, the original, the 1993. (laughs) It's it's a guilty pleasure. I love it. It's good fun. It's stupid. Whatever. I think it's fucking awesome. Um, It's getting a 4K release. But like in in Australia, (laughs) you can't even buy that thing in this country. Like it's – and apparently uh, the corporation that releases them is releasing them – they always release them region free. So if anyone else like can us has, it, a secret, we can watch it has a secret love of uh, Super Mario Brothers, the uh, the quirky original, um, yeah. Those Koopas with the tiny heads.
1: <laughs> fucking love. Yeah, dude. Everybody's talking shit about that movie. I liked it when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, man. All right. Well, let's, All right back um, to Vertigo. I think we both, well, I guess we should just preface this by saying that I'm a big Hitchcock fan. I, I don't know how you couldn't be to a certain extent. I think he's just very... yeah. He's very easy to watch. He was one of the first uh, directors that I think I noticed as like direct for directing. I used to watch movies, you know, religiously, just as a fan of movies when I was growing up. And then when I started acting, mostly through that perspective, and I think it was around then late teens, throughout my 20s, before I ever started like thinking of directing, I started thinking of Alfred Hitchcock is a director
0: that I noticed. And it kind of made yeah. me watch his movies a little bit differently. Also, when everybody loved go not too long ago and loved everybody it. Loved the cameo as well. And there, were no, there was no internet to tell you where it was back then. So if you missed it, you had to go see the movie again to find out where he walks through the frame, because that became, he made that a thing.
1: <sighs> tell me when we get to it. Tell me, tell me where he is in this one. Cause I, I don't think I've ever caught him in this one.
0: Yeah. I, yeah, I found is it really it. obvious. You found it. Okay. <laughs> okay. He, I mean, he walks right through the front of the frame. He's, he's literally one of the people walking on the street when he, when, uh, James Stewart's walking around the corner into, uh, I think it's the shipping company or something. It's, yeah. There's one scene where he just walks, he's walking, it's an establishing shot. He's walking down the sidewalk and he turns and walks into a gate, and Hitchcock walks past in front of him. Okay. Really, good, yeah, really, good. it's really subtle. All right, man. What'd you think, dude? Hit me. I like this. is... It starts off so promising and fun. And like in the first. You know, three minutes, you've got stunts, pioneering camera techniques, edgy female humour, workplace harassment. Like, everything is there in the first three <laughs> minutes. <laughs> okay. Midge? Uh, yeah. It, it, like, it starts off with him chasing across a rooftop. And, of course, I, one thing I did notice all the way through this um, that made me really like it was the like the use of, like, compositing tech. Like either be it in camera or like keying stuff, it's done really, really well. Um, some to the, sometimes to the point where you are like, how the fuck did they do that? Like, like yeah. what was what was the technique used there? Because that was clean. Yeah. Um, it's, explain
1: that a little bit to people who don't know what that means.
0: Okay, so basically, you, um, in some of the interiors outside the window, you've got a live shot happening. Really? Um, for instance, in the bookstore, um, they go to see this guy at a bookstore. And there's a whole street scene happening outside, but it's a combination of the bookstore set, then a sidewalk with actual actors walking back and forwards. And then what looks like a rear projection set up on the edge of the sidewalk so that you get the street scene. And then all of a sudden the sun goes down in the whole thing. So it's, it's done really, really well and like clever and just the way they made it all work really works for me. That sequence. I
1: noticed that sunset this time too. And I was just like, why did they choose to do that? It's yeah, like a, like, a technical did they, feat. I I'm, I'm wondering <laughs> is that
0: is that the only stock footage they could find of the street and they just had to match it on set? They had, what? Yeah, because
1: when they're out on the, the side it, Yeah, yeah. Cuz that
0: that that wow. that works similar to the volume these days. It's it's captured in camera. So mm-hmm. they re-project live on on set. Um I I enjoyed this to a point. Okay. Um I mean, he's definitely the master of suspense in this because you will be like, "What the fuck is going on?" For like a lot of the movie, I was I was actually really interested though because, um, oh, just for fun, also drinking game, drink every time they say acrophobia in the first uh first they do they, you'll, you'll be unconscious in the first ten minutes of the fucking film <laughs> that word. yeah um but it just I I did notice on this watch like the vertigo turns up in the, the opening scene and the vertigo turns up uh, in the the first establishing scene in the the office. And then you don't hear a fucking thing about his vertigo for like the next 90 minutes. Like it, mm. it just, it doesn't become a thing. It becomes this other thing. And then it, that resolves and then it becomes another thing. And then the vertigo comes back at the end. Um, I was like, I, it's kind of the title of the movie. I was expecting a little more, but it's, it's still fun. It's great like it's it's a dramatic watch uh it's clever the mystery is clever and I'm not kidding like in, in a good way you'll be like what the fuck is going on and then you finally find out what the fuck is going on but they let you know but not him so then it mm-hmm. it goes from what the fuck is going on to when will he find out what's what's happened and yeah. that's a really good that's really good like reinvention of a mystery halfway through because you can only like work a mystery so far and then he changes the style of the presentation of the mystery it's very clever and I really dug it. Didn't stick the landing for me. The ending I found a bit naff.
1: And it, yeah, and, and there is a lot of like uh, of the time where endings just happen and then they're out of there. Yeah. And, and w- was it that kind of thing? Like yeah. culturally, the way they ended movies back then. And Hitchcock was kinda, notorious kinda, for I, doing it al- this.
0: It almost felt like they were trying to do like a Chinatown ending. Hmm. Only they it, fucked and it yeah, up. Yeah. And, I don't Chinatown know. Is, is a brilliant ending. No, no, no. I'm actually, I, I like the film. <laughs> look,
1: we picked, I I like the film a lot too. This was one of the first ones. I, I will say this is what, like when I was like getting into Hitchcock movies. And I, I've probably seen this maybe four or five times now. This is probably the fifth time I've seen it. And I remember when I watched it the first time, just being kind of overwhelmed by the filmmaking. And again, I, just, I wasn't, hmm. I hadn't made any movies by then but i remember oh, being like yeah I'll oh get... god he's a good filmmaker it's so obvious yeah it gets he's really really accomplished like there's a there's almost like a spell that this movie kind of puts you under because there is so much aesthetic that is going on that the plot this is a movie that is kind of easy to forget the minutiae of the plot i think big picture you'll probably remember what it's about but every time i rewatch it i'm always kind of like is this um, the the moment to moment? I usually forget that there is quite as much of him kind of PI, private investigating slash stalking slash obsessed with her on mm-hmm. both sides of the of the midpoint. Uh, and I don't want to spoil too much yet. Uh, we'll get into the details of that. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, you usually, I think for me, I I always forget that the the big heightened moment in the middle. Is that close to like the middle mark? I always think of it as like being much later. Um, So structurally, like it's a fun one to forget because I think you're going to kind of forget that structure each time when you come back to it, as long as you wait long enough, which is refreshing because some of the movies, you know, not, not picking on Hitchcock, but I feel like a lot of the mysteries and thrillers, if you don't really forget those things, they're not as much fun to, to hmm. rewatch just because there might
0: not be any mystery. I
1: don't know for for this
0: one. Well, I mean, he is, he is notorious for reinventing a film like halfway through, like psycho. You don't see Norman Bates for what? 35 minutes or something in the, the beginning of the movie. Honestly, it's, but it's I a bank did bank. time traveling. That
1: was a giant. He had never done that before. It kind of, good point, man. It kind of makes me wonder if he, cause I don't feel like North by Northwest has something that extreme, but this midpoint hmm. two years before he makes psycho, is a big step in that direction of like, what the yeah. hell is the movie about now? Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, there are. I still, I still really liked this. I think, I think this time more than any other time, I started thinking a lot more about kind of what you're touching at. Like, there are a lot of people who criticize the fact that his acrophobia and the vertigo is is used in such a device way, and maybe it is in the novel that is based yeah. on as well that the justification for the mid. The midpoint, the thing that happens with the death in the middle of the movie is so reliant on him not being able to get up those stairs that I think some people really can't get past that. And they think that this movie is overrated in Hitchcock's canon because that's just, it's just too devicey and too simple. And the title of the movie is a part of the device mm. and everything. Because um, this movie for me is not about vertigo. And, I, and I'm sure Hitchcock would say the same. It's really not about that. It's, for me, it's almost about obsession. And like when I started to see th- that second half yeah. of the film really fucked with me this time, like especially post me too. And post it just this, yeah. the climate that we're in now, if you couldn't, and I'm not even saying it does, but if you couldn't look at it through justification of the fact that she also used him in mm. a very terrible way, whether or not she meant to fall in love with him, there was this like twisted you know, plot that she was very much involved with, that he was compromised for, went insane for, for year, a year, I think. Yeah. It totally was catatonic and like totally ruined his life while he was dealing with this other mental issue, this acrophobia over the death of somebody, the uh, partner of his and the criminal, you know, police force or whatever when he was a, te- a detective. Um, so if you don't think about that and you just watch it on its face, this is a very creepy male obsession movie. And even on it on its own, that was really kind of gross and fun to watch, mm. and that well,
0: kind of—it's of- funny because my, my I had two of my sister in laws were up this weekend, and one of them was sitting on the couch. Uh, they came back from whatever they're doing, and uh, I was up to the bit like just after the incident where like they meet up again. I don't know if I don't if we need even need to turn spoilers on. It's a it's a fucking fifty year old movie, so um, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, if you like, just just go and watch it now before we keep talking. And yeah, we'll get back to you. Um, But yeah, it got it got to the point where he started trying to remake, um, like her, and dress her up the same and do all that. And my sister in law sat down to watch. Like, was just sitting on the couch and watching it. She's like, yeah, put it back on. And uh, from that was her starting point. From there, and she's mm. like, "What the fuck is wrong with him? What is?" Yeah. And it's like, just from like, if you miss that first part, what he's doing is like twisted, twisted. He's obsessed, and like <coughs> it, it really does deal with like false ideals and um inability to let things go. There's a whole heap of themes bouncing through the second half of this movie.
1: Yeah, and and maybe too many. You know, I think I think a lot of people find that frustrating that it, it shifts tone so much and. Shifts away and he becomes, it becomes such a a movie of obsession Mm. and is so, it misdirects you so much about what you thought this movie was going to be about, which is this man trying to get over his fear. And it's actually, this is, in a sense, like I want to applaud Mr. Hitchcock because what's more Hitchcock, people underestimate him. They think he was creepy and Mm. what a, what a Hitchcockian device. The only way this man can overcome his trauma is by obsessively driving a woman to death. Like I mean, that is yeah. almost exactly what fucking happens in the last half of this movie, and it is fucking twisted. You think it's Jimmy Stewart, it's a wonderful well, life. We're gonna feel like we're gonna smile with this guy. He's a victim in a lot of the other Hitchcock movies. He's not in in a way he's not here, and I feel like mm. Hitchcock used that to his advantage. You It's gross. It's gross to watch this. I,
0: well, it's, come it's funny because like climax. I I got like it's almost like you because he's basically following this guy's wife around at at this other guy's request and they end up falling in love and basically having an affair and you're willing to forgive them for that. Like that doesn't make, that doesn't put a stain on the characters, but mm. when he starts trying to dress her up like the, the other one, like the girl, the, the one he thinks is dead, that's when you start, his character starts to become very unlikable. And I find that's very interesting that like he sets it up in a way that you're willing to forgive the affair and like the infidelity and everything. Cause as far as he knows, that's this guy's wife. Uh, and as far as you know at the time, it's this guy's wife. Yeah. And but you're willing to forgive that, but then when he starts manipulating her, that's not so forgivable, and it comes across really creepy. And I'm do, wondering we, is that totally a societal right. change, or is that a like was that the intention all along?
1: Yeah. Was that just the, the the filmmakers and the screenplay? Like, did it just pull off making you empathize for them in the first part? Because I'll actually yeah. not to push against it, not to disagree, but I was pretty grossed out in their love affair. I mean, his obsession for me started beginning. He's clearly still a detective. I'm not saying from the jump, it's like, it's creepy. He's, he's stalking her because he's doing a job. He's, he's researching her and following her around town. And, uh, but as he begins to fall in love with her, which if anyone hasn't seen the movie, like this is really the tell. And this is kind of a sign of the times, but also I think it's the first step in the direction of saying to you, this whole situation is fucked. And this guy is a very direct, obsessive person. He is actually still doing his job. He follows her to the fucking San Francisco Bay. She jumps in the water. He goes in to rescue her. And then in the next scene, she is naked in his bed. He took her home. Somehow got her car home. Yeah, clothed they- her, washed her clothes, and she is clearly nude in her bed. And he's standing beside her bed, and he's like, "Oh, you're gonna want this." And he like gives her a robe, and he's like, "Come stand by the fire." And like she's she's uncomfortable. Like it's not like Hitchcock is is I blind to like, the fact I, that that's uncomfortable. I, I but-
0: like that they didn't gloss over that because if they just glossed over that it's like what the fuck man but no like you can tell that he like he has stripped her naked while she's unconscious which i when you find out what you find out it's like she wasn't unconscious. she was faking it so she knew um but yeah he he stripped her naked unconscious and then it it, it was like that was a normal thing to do i was helping you
1: again god damn i'm so glad you said that because what they didn't gloss
0: over it they made it very awkward
1: now what folks, in real time when you're watching this fucking thing, you think it's the guy's wife. So it's creepy as hell when you again when you look back and remember this woman is fucking twisted too. She let this man strip her naked and put her in bed. I don't yes. think anything inappropriate happened beyond that. I don't no. think you're supposed to think that, but she let that happen and then woke up and pretended like she's pretending to be this man's wife, you guys, and then uh, they, they she gets she goes up into this um into this mission where there are these high steps this is the midpoint of the movie and Jimmy Stewart can't get all the way up there because the vertigo is strong and she jumps and kills herself. You find out that she is actually pretending to be the man's wife, and the man had actually broken his wife's neck, is having holding her body upstairs. In this uh, cha- in this steeple, mm. and throws his dead wife's body as though she committed suicide. This woman was faking it the whole time. Kim Novak's character. So that's what we're talking about. When you realize and look back, Kim Novak let him let Jimmy Stewart strip her naked, have this. Oh, what am I doing here? You're, you know, what what did you do that for? Knowing and you can tell Jimmy Stewart he, the way he the way Hitchcock captures it, the way Jimmy Stewart plays it, he is obsessed with her. By the time he yeah. has rescued her out of the water, he has now seen her entirely naked. He's super into her. He's asking her to stay at his place. The next day she comes back and connects with him, which is, that's the most fun part for me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Why? You know, when she starts, especially when since she starts, especially since he's following her,
0: like at, yeah. the, at the time she comes back, he's following her and yeah. she drives to his house. Yes. Yeah. And
1: Dave, I mean, this is part of the plan though, right? Like, of course yeah. it was, but when she starts to pull him in and start to manipulate him, uh, I just, I mean, there, there, this is this movie, I think, is underrated. If you only watch it on its face, I think there are people who get frustrated with that plot element. Oh, God, he couldn't get up the stairs, and that guy got away with murder. Give me a fucking break. Like, But look, if you buy it and swallow it, that's what happened. That's not what this movie's about. This movie is about psychological decay. Mm. It's, it's about obsession. It's about yeah. how love is fucking gross sometimes. Their love was still love, mm. as, but... But but I think the expression entirely of it was so tainted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was entirely built on lies. And it drove her to death. I mean, it drove him to a catatonic psychosis after yeah. she died, or he thought she died. And then it drove her to getting her to fucking dying. Yeah. Now, see, Dave, I, why do you think she jumped, bro?
0: I think she thought it was the other guy coming back. Cause you only see the nun in shadow. I think she thought it was the guy who killed his wife coming to finish her off. I think she
1: thought it was the woman. Ah. That's a good uh, one. Yeah, I like that. at the end of this movie, folks, they're up in this. Uh, this what an incredible sequence! Jimmy Stewart I, is. See, now, this is the one psycho. I had a problem with.
0: This is the one I <laughs> okay. had a problem with because, because basically, it it like at first he couldn't get up the stairs to save the woman he loves, but if you get angry enough, you can overcome whatever mental illness you have and suddenly okay, okay, climb okay. these stairs.
1: Well, we have to. We have to. Uh, th- We can only go by what the filmmakers have taught us. So look, this is not probably this. I don't know. I don't know enough about psychosis or these mental disorders, acrophobia, these different kinds of phobias, how they come on, how they leave you. This is all before therapy and psychology was as prominent. Freud was coming up, you know, across the waters over the previous like 20 years. And so Hitchcock just defined a rule for us when he's in the opening scene, not the opening sequence, but the first scene with Midge in her apartment, and he's talking to her about his vertigo, and he says that the doctor said the only way I'll get over it is with an extreme level of trauma. Mm. So I have to have, maybe I'll get over it with time, or if I have another traumatic experience, maybe that will help me get past it. So in a way, in in a filmmaker, in a writing way, Dave, isn't that a fun assignment? All I have to do is find a way to get this man to an extreme state
0: yeah. of duress or stress or trauma. That is that is kind of fun. It's like, hey, but let's do we, let's fuck him up twice as much.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And do we buy it? I don't know. That's how, but that's how people end the, up
0: locked in a box in your therapist office. Like, no, no. Well, honestly, no, dude. No, no. <laughs> and just for just for the
1: filmmaking, this final sequence, it is it's almost hard to watch. He is so he is fucking cranked. He has lost it. He is yep. dragging this woman up the stairs where she framed a woman's death. So she already feels terrible about it and she doesn't want to go back
0: at, there. At this she's point, he knows. Like, so.
1: Yeah, he I, has figured I, it out based soon on some as she, clues. As yeah.
0: soon as she busted that brooch out, I was like, oh, she's fucked. Yeah, that necklace. She was fucked, (laughs) dude. That was he's
1: dragging her up the stairs. He's yelling at her. He's telling her, "I know what you did, and you fucking murdered her." And you you know, cursing Hitchcock, but I know what you did. Admit to it. Admit it. He gets her up to the bell tower, the same steeple, same place, scene of the crime. And just when she finally, like, they make out for just a second after she's like, "You're right. You're right. I did it." And they like they have like this twisted like moment where they connect one more time. Like maybe these two broken people will finally find a way to obsessively, crudely, poisonously love each other. And this nun, I heard some voices. This this nun had come up into the steeple because she was just inspecting. Mm. And in total, it's scary. I think this is scary. This moment would have scared me as a child. In total blackness, with just a little definition around her edges in her habit. You can't see her face at all. You just see this figure move past the bell in total shadow. And Kim Novak fucking jumps out of the tower just like the woman that she fucking framed and dies to her death. So there's this fun mystery of like, why did she jump? Was it suicide? Was she just scared and she ran away? Did she feel guilty? And the movie ends, as Dave puts it, that moment is super successful for me. But then Jimmy Stewart just to not he's already made it all the way up the stairs that's a he couldn't do that before he steps out onto the edge of the bell tower to observe her dead body cut to black dissolved to black it's a hitchcock excuse me yeah dissolved to black yeah and and it's over paramount thank you for coming and like three seconds later this this whole film is is come the real has it's come done. to yeah. an end yeah, yeah. yeah. so i don't see, know like what what, what? <laughs> what what the fuck what, what? I mean that's how they used to end him dude yeah. He did not want to let the snow fall Snap the rug uh, out show's over I'm fucking tired But Dave how do you feel though Like there is still a part of this movie That like I, I think I said at the beginning Like there's something Spell like about This movie and I think It might have even more to do With his style Than the well, substance I mean, of the
0: story they, they played with color and light a lot Like the cinematography in this is ridiculously good it's um, so good, right? Like, it's like, yeah, it's yeah, incredible. Every, every, like, it's almost like every location was chosen for its light quality, um, and they use good it call. to great effect. And there's, there's things like, um, there was an interesting choice they made in the cemetery where they had white diffusion on a daytime scene. I've never seen anyone use white diffusion on a daytime scene so that like all the day highlights are blooming like fucking crazy, and it's like you get so much like mist on the image and it's the really the only time they use it. And it's just for that one scene, but there's also like those bright red fucking roses. Like they played with reds and greens a yeah. lot. Um, one of the things that gets me though, is uh, there was two things I love the most that I know really noticed about this. One was the gigantic, the wide fucking estab- establishing shots. God, I want a location that big. Can you imagine? Cannot, cannot wait till I get to like throw a camera up in a fucking lift and have a location like that and just have this tiny person moving through the middle of it. It's like, yeah, this is this is the progression a of the real scene, actor, but he's a fucking ant. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other one was the sheer amount of dissolves that he yeah, used so in this big, because it's it's not like the days of Adobe Premiere or you know fucking whatever. You can't just throw two clips in and draw it, drag a dissolve on it. Like if you're doing a dissolve, you you've got to fucking like you someone has to mark down the paperwork of how many frames yeah. this dissolve is and that gets sent off to a lab and then the lab puts it in an optical printer and that get that the dissolve gets made in the optical printer through a, a double exposure process. It is ridiculously complicated to do a dissolve, but he just fucking uses them all the time. Like lab hours yeah. on this must have been ridiculous. I was thinking the exact same thing, dude.
1: And at this point in his career I mean, he's just, he just a craft, lab a craftsman. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's he's got the lab guy, but you yeah. know he's thinking about that in his design at this point. He knows yeah. exactly oh, yeah. the seconds that he's going to use in transitions. D- directorially, transitions are like something that mm-hmm. have just been like, I very consciously have been thinking about over the past few years. Like you take them for granted when you watch brilliant movies like this because they're transitions and you shouldn't notice yeah. them. But you know, they're just, they should just, they should be I so mean, good that you just keep moving. But he thought about every one of these transitions, you know, yeah. like he, he had to know when he was going to dissolve the cinematographer. I'm glad he pointed him out. Robert Burks, who he worked with uh, a lot on most of his iconic movies and art di- um, Alfred Hitchcock came from an art direction background. These two men just hmm. fucking, like, this is one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen, which I still think is one of the reasons why it is so successful. It might not be as strong of a the the narrative might not hold up quite as well to to harsh criticism compared to some of his other really amazing ones, but this is why the style over substance kind of thing. The style in this movie is so shameless, and it, the location of San Francisco is just portrayed in such a, a shamelessly romantic, dynamic, contrasting way that you I really do you feel like you're being hypnotized by that town yeah. and by his 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 take on that town. The McKittrick Hotel is still there. Some of those giant relics and the um, the old, um, that giant scene you're talking about where, what is the name of that thing? Um, it's not a museum. It's not. It's before they go to the museum, but the, I can't remember the name of that thing, but it's north of the city. God damn it. you know what I'm talking about?
0: I, no, I've only ever been to San Fran on a cruise ship and I wasn't that, like, allowed off the ship that day. thing? I got denied entry in the thing. US.
1: <laughs> uh, how about fucking... Um, You made it anyway, Dave, you made it. I did. How about that fucking uh, Ernie's restaurant wallpaper? What the the velvet red? Yeah. You know know what I mean? Like this is just filmmaking one-on-one. It just just goes to show you that like um, Hitchcock is not living in realism. He doesn't, he's not a realistic Mm. director. It's all expressionism. But we often talk, Dave and I have had these conversations. Everybody's had these conversations. How do you draw someone's eye to a certain subject? How do you create a certain uh, tone of affinity or contrast visually, so that you don't have to have anybody talk about it? You know, we're we're trying to not make use of dialogue when we don't have to. Jimmy Stewart is sitting in this restaurant called Ernie's. I'm not sure if that's a real San Francisco restaurant, but I'm sure this is a set that they built. And this room is completely controlled with this gorgeous, like fucking garnet, burgundy, red velvet wallpaper, lots of black ties, Lots of white dresses. He's in like a, a dark suit as well. and it starts to kind of move across the room, and one woman is in green. Yeah. you just like and you just look at the back of this woman and you realize not too long after that, that's who we're supposed to be looking at. But she's fucking, you know, she's fucking gorgeous. And when she crosses, this is just a, it's so expressive, mm. I wouldn't have the courage to do this, Dave. This woman gets up and it's Kim mm. Novak. We don't know she's our subject yet, but she is. She crosses, and when she crosses past him, he looks at her, and a fucking Phil special just shines down on her, completely unrealistically fills her in this like beautiful spotlight that doesn't feel theatrical. It doesn't feel natural either, but it doesn't feel like a harsh spotlight. It's soft, it's diffused, and there's just something so unrealistic about it that if you start kind of thinking of it that way, that this is not supposed to be realistic, we were told right there in that yeah. moment that this man is going to lose his mind over her. He never saw her mm. realistically,
0: ever. No. He saw her as and this And also they, they did that again thing. Um, in the hotel room where she had a green tinge mm. on her when she was going in to have the shell from the, from the neon outside. It didn't affect him like that, but she was green. And then when she came back out looking like her former self, um, they basically oh, af- misted the fuck out of it so that she appeared angelic almost. And then that faded, and almost, that faded away, and they or, or ghostly, if you like. Uh, but that faded oh, away, day. and then she walked out of it.
1: Dude, I'm just I'm just connecting some dots here. We have her in white, yeah, almost a, almost a daylight white in Ernie's when they get that on her. It moves to that green in the sequence where she finally puts on the outfit and does her hair the way that he remembered her. Mm-hmm. Big giant Bernard Herman music climax, fucking. Jimmy Stewart is losing his fucking brain. She walks out totally green. You can't see her features very well in that one, can you? Until she no. walks closer to him, yeah. And then we have the nun at the end that is totally in black. We almost yeah. like we have these women who are really, really affected. And these, oh my God, what a, what a beautiful visual <laughs> connecting of the dots. I mean, you know, he thought about that stuff. The green in her hotel room, like Dave. I mean. We could not get away with that today. People would think it was too unrealistic. It's like the episode of Seinfeld where Kramer has the chicken chop outside of his place. <laughs> he's drenched in red and he's going yep. insane because it's just so shamelessly red. She lives in the Empire Hotel, which I think is in San Francisco and still there. And they replace the letters with green letters. So her room is just like completely covered in green. Like there's no way you can get away from it. And it affects everything. If you and I except made a movie him. right
0: now, it doesn't affect him as much. <laughs>
1: They fucking flag it off so they everywhere yeah. he is like he's just like without it. Yeah. Oh, good call, dude. Until she walks out and his reverse yep. shot looking on him, she's finally casting her on green onto him. Somehow she is the source of light because the light is behind him. Yeah. Oh god, that's so interesting. Man, so do, do you agree with me that like this might be a, a style over substance movie or Absolutely. Yeah, because yeah, okay.
0: like there, there is a lot of stuff you could probably cut out of this and it wouldn't suffer for it, but there's not a single shot you could cut.
1: Mm. So yeah. Like somewhere in the, somewhere in the narrative stuff you could cut is the genius.
0: Right. Yeah,
1: Somewhere yeah. in that shit yeah. is the stuff that Alfred Hitchcock is like, that's why we will never be Alfred Hitchcock. Also, I, I
0: have to throw a bit of respect. The ex-wife who he keeps going and visiting that they're married for three weeks never or whatever.
1: Married. No, They're engaged for three weeks. They're engaged were for three weeks. Sorry. Yeah. They're the ex-fiancé. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. yeah. That painting that she does. That was a lot of time and effort for a sick burn. I have respect. Because when yeah. he walked around and looked at that, and I'm like, oh, fuck, it was a burn. But she, like, she thought he was going to love it and didn't realize. But, like, to, I took that as a sickest burn ever. Like,
1: yeah. Oh, man. I mean, she must be, like, the most talented person ever to, like, casually have just whipped up the fucking yeah. Carlotta painting with her face on it. Uh, also- I also thought that scene was. Go for it. I-
0: Okay. The um, there's one shot uh where they did an overhead of the church as well that I wanted to bring up because it showed the tower, but it was like overhead and the tower was sticking up into the foreground, and I couldn't tell whether it was real or a matte painting that had been added to the top of the tower. Excellent. And it because yeah. it was done so well, like it could have been either.
1: His matte painters are just yeah, the matte painters on this at the Academy Museum here right now, I don't know if it's still there, but for when they opened for like the first uh, year or two years, they have this um, one exhibit and it's, it's just um, t- a two floor ceiling. So it's it's high enough to fit in the the large 60 foot uh, mats that they used to use in movies. And for a long time, his um, Mount Rushmore backdrop from North by Northwest was hanging in it. Hmm. And, you know, they have like, and they have a bunch of representations and smaller versions of other ones. And they just, yeah. that art form, again, it's just, you and I, might not be able to get away with that now again, because again, it's so stylized. Like they're, but they're
0: look at, well, they're, no, they're looking at like you're looking at basically painting onto a sheet of glass that goes in front of the camera, and it that gets inserted into the picture. So that they have to get their perspective right to sell a shot like that, and they fucking nailed it on this one. It's so, like nailed, the yeah
1: the math they must have gone in. You know what I mean? Like they're not just artists, yeah. right? Like straight craft. Um, how about that other shot? I thought of you for sure, and even Elizabeth, we, we enjoy watching this, and she even. She would comment in on this one, like out loud, right after she jumps, supposedly jumps the midpoint, hmm. he throws his wife out. It cuts outside of the tower to this shot. I don't know where the camera was, or if it was on a crane, you yeah. see the mission steeple, you see the roof around the mission steeple where the priest and some nuns are climbing up to find the dead body mm-hmm. and down on the bottom right of frame, you yeah, see Jimmy Stewart. That's ex- the shot I'm talking
0: about with, this, the, okay, with okay. the steeple. Yeah. That's the one. Dude. Incredible. I mean, yeah.
1: it's just, it's just, your eye is going, what is that called when your eye like moves across screen? Like it's all said in one shot. This is not through cuts, folks. It's just this big master. And man, that is an incredible shot. And that yep. hit, that is like quintessential Hitchcock when he has yeah. you realizing like, I heard Ryan Johnson um, when he, I told y'all he came to school a few weeks ago and somebody asked him, um, you seem like a really great, did I already say this about suspense? Start, did I give this anecdote? this guy asked him a question about how to create suspense because he seems to be really invested Hmm. in that kind of storytelling. And this guy referred to this really famous class that used to be taught at USC on Hitchcock. It was just this giant Hitchcock class taught by this really legendary professor. And uh, Ryan Johnson said, you know, in that class I learned uh, that Hitchcock said, and whenever he would give classes, that the key to suspense is not subtlety or ambiguity. It is clarity. You show yeah. the audience everything so that they will begin to start imagining why do I know all of this? So that you yeah. as you show them everything and there's no mystery, they will begin to assume this must be building to something. And I, yeah. you know, even in that
0: shot right there, like it's not well, necessarily he, like, like he, def- he definitely utilizes that straight away, like straight after the the suicide. Um he she like as soon as he finds her that gets through the business of him suffering for a year and then he, as soon as he finds her and there's that first discussion she immediately sits down and like immediately sorry it goes to a close up of her and she imagines what actually happened and straight away yes. we're le- we're shown everything we need to know and yes. it, again it's yeah you're right it's like what why do I need to know like why do I now know this and also what happens when he finds out because we yes. now know something he doesn't. So that builds the suspense of when will he find out and what will he do? Because he's slowly getting more and more unhinged. Good call. And that's, I-, I think yeah. it's
1: important for us to. I'll explain via Hitchcock's words. This is him, not me saying. Because he is the master of suspense. That's what we yeah. all call him, right? That's what all the marketing around his movie and the show and everything were. And um, there's a famous interview that he does with. Um, uh, fuck. What's his name? Four hundred blows. Fuck. Who made that? Jesus, John. <laughs> uh, Truffaut. God damn it. Uh, with Truffaut, and it's in book form. You can read it, and there's also you can you watch the documentary of it. Um, and he just talks about for a second the difference between a suspense and a thriller. He said, "Is you imagine there's a couple, and they're eating dinner in the kitchen, in the thriller." they're eating. They don't think anything is happening unusual. And then a bomb goes off in their house and destroys them both. And you're like, how did that happen? What happened in the suspense? Hmm. I show the couple eating dinner and then I go underneath the table and I show a bomb ticking beneath their feet. Yeah. And then I go back to them eating dinner and I go back to the bomb ticking. And then we saw it, we see a countdown and they explode. And the sensation you get until the explosion is suspense. So, I mean,
0: it's, it's it's funny because suspense and horror are done completely opposite. Um, Is horror the, more
1: thrilling? Well, in Well, it's, it's like
0: the suspense you you reveal and have the build from that reveal. But with horror, you don't reveal. It's like uh, Stephen King once said, like the best thing about uh, I think it was the movie called The Strangers. You don't like when they come in and take them prisoner in their own, their own house. You don't know why they're there, and it's never said why they're there. So they become this force that just turned up at your house. And you don't know what their motivations are or I know anything. What you,
1: no, I know what you mean. Motivationally, I agree with that, but I love that movie, The Strangers. Yeah. When you see them in those wide shots. Have you seen the movie? No. I keep oh, going God to watch it. it. It's so... Yeah. Dude, it's good. No, dude, I, keep, it's I keep going, going to watch scared. it. It's like it's on
0: my list, but yeah. I, <laughs> All right, I'm not going to ruin it for you. I'm going to uh, watch it in October, this October. Somewhere before Halloween, yeah. I'm watching this.
1: Uh, God damn it. You made, me, you made me think of something about when you were saying that, about, like, uh, about not showing... Uh, Either way, I think I think Mm. this is you're right. This is a perfect example. Like the point is not the mystery. He wants us to know the mystery very quickly so we can watch these two, you know, points of opposition. She does. We understand who she is now very, very, very clearly. We understand why she doesn't want to do it. Uh, And I think that's also like a way that he got away with. Like, if we did not know that she was her for sure, this may have been not comfortable enough to watch. Yeah, him obsessively take this innocent person doppelganger, oh, we and just like force her to yeah. force her absolutely to kill Absolutely needed basically. that right there. <laughs> <and> then <laughs> I don't think that would have worked. Um But man, Dave, I'm so glad you were moved by the filmmaking. Mm. I, I thought there were
0: so many examples of just. I mean, and let's just so we, we didn't even talk about the vertigo shot, like the the zoom out, pull in, and in reverse. Yeah, like all right. So anyone who's any, so basically, he's like tracking the camera. Like he's trucking the camera back and zooming in at the same time. To right. hold there are the two hold, versions. You, yeah, you hold the basically you hold the close point, so you move the camera to hold the closest points in the frame, but when you zoom out, everything else moves away in the bo- in the back of the frame. And right. so and it's it's so fucking hard to do. <laughs> it's like anyone who's tried to do this S- folks, shot cuz yeah, so you got to like know, it... truck and zoom at the same it's time. It's right
1: there's a couple other famous examples for anybody who loves movies. In Jaws, when yep, he's Jaws, on they, the beach. They do the opposite, yeah. Yeah, they do the opposite where the world shrinks. Oh, it expands around him as yeah. we push him in on his face. So, so that that's, one, that's we go mean and, in yeah. and zoom out.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh and then when Frodo looks down the road, get we, we have to get off the road. When they're first the him and the hobbits are mm-hmm. still are looking down the road and he senses the first uh, Wraith coming, he does a similar his, yeah. exp- his shrinks so he pulls out and does a classic Hitchcock it's a pull yeah. back
0: I mean this, zoom this in. shot like they pioneered this technique and it's it's something no one had ever it's seen so before effective. and it's it's a filmmaking staple now like you you yeah. can use this to great effect yes
1: it is uh, it is part of his language I mean it's Hitchcock and if anybody
0: game. ever tries it and gets it right send me the clip it <laughs> <laughs> looks awesome when you <laughs> <know>. nail it <laughs> god they
1: are so beautiful I love it so much yeah um, yeah, man. Is there I anything think else we can I say about I think we fucking this. nailed it, dude.
0: Yeah. I, just, I, just, I think we did. I, don't, I, I, don't, I think we should just totally...
1: <laughs> yeah, let's just fucking gush <laughs> yeah. for just a second. I
0: mean, cheers. You've got to be thirsty.
1: <laughs> I loved it. Really great rewatch. Mm. I'm glad we did it. Yeah. Um, there are some movies in 1958 that... Uh, Touch of Evil. for like, I, I, There are some movies just on that list I was reading at the beginning. It's kind of crazy that they weren't really recognized... And I'm going to throw Vertigo in that list. You know, it's just nuts that there were so mm. many movies he made that we now look at over time. And, and of course, they didn't have the benefit of you know looking back on it, but it stuck. You know, it, it was true. There was something honest about it. There was something so incredibly successful about his expression that has lasted. There are a lot of people I think who are into Alfred Hitchcock and movies in general, and this is their favorite. I don't, yeah. You know, I don't know if I. Agree with them that it's his best, but I understand why you can get hit. I can imagine if
0: if you have a if you have an interest in cinematography, that's why this is their favorite. Because there is so much. Every
1: time I, every time I, I'll, I'll just refer one more time to the the Truffaut interview. Truffaut asked him at the end of it, "Was there anything you regret, or not regret, but is there anything you never felt like you really tried?" And Hitchcock took a moment, and then he said. He said, you know, I always made movies the same way. I found a formula pretty early in my career that was very successful and I never left it, the suspense formula. Um, I found stories that would be malleable to it. I found actors that would help heighten the stories, but, you know, they were basically doing whatever was in the storyboard. Like, you know, we've made the movies before we made them. And then we just shot according to what I had edited it according to that same formula. And that was it. And we moved on. And it's why I was so prolific, but he said, I, it's not that I regret it, but I will acknowledge, how do you phrase it? He He said, I, I was, I never had the courage to follow characters and allow them to change my formula. And I just thought it was interesting. Whenever mm. I watch his looking back, I'm very aware that he knows and he's aware that he's working within a formula. But this is just that example, like kind of Tarantino. I was taking that class over the summer. Style over substance. When you're that fucking good at it, when you're the best at it, that might be style is substance. You know what I mean? Like when you're the master of it, and you're and mm. you're so effective at it, that might be enough. I mean, he's one of the greatest of all yeah. fucking time. <laughs> so, anyway. At us, folks. If you disagree, feel free to chime in on the socials. I hope you watched it. I hope you enjoyed it. hope you watched some other 1958 movies. Uh, I'm really loving this. We're about a month into this, and I just I just can't wait to see what's next. So, Dave, well, let's, we'll do it, uh, let's,
0: let's do a quick uh, what you've been watching, and then we'll reveal where we're going. And then next we'll week. reveal, okay, okay, yeah. okay, okay, sure. How about you, man? What you've been watching? Well, I've been, uh, I've, of course, uh, Loki, I've started on Loki. Um, oh, cool. And uh, anyone who hasn't seen it yet, slight spoiler, but Kiyo Kwan turns up in the first episode and is already one of the most beloved Marvel characters ever. So he's uh, nice. he's, he's, he's joined the MCU. He's awesome. It's worth watching just for the the, the shenanigans that happened in the first episode with him. Oh, Um, Yeah, he's doing, he's, he's doing great and you want it to happen. Uh, I also did a rewatch of Free Guy because I I found members of my family who haven't watched it um, so did that, and then we found out nice. that neither of the the two sister in laws that visited on the weekend had seen Chicago. So Uh-oh. I was like, "Where is it on streaming?" And it wasn't there. So I realized I don't own it in this country. So now in Chicago, and we sat there. We started it at like midnight last night, and we stayed up till four o'clock in the morning watching fucking movies. So it's like, nice, yeah. And they, I was oh just my god, talking about oh Chicago my god, they, yeah, they they were hooked on Chicago. It's still good. It, it is yeah oh i believe you did i haven't watched it in a while but it's so
1: weird i was literally yesterday talking mm. with someone who had never seen it well i literally <laughs> i
0: literally just closed like the show of pippin that i was doing um mm. so i came home from a musical and sat down and watched a musical
1: nice dude yeah yeah yeah, yeah. good for you um i have been watching i've been continuing downtown abbey sorry that is kind of taking up most of the time watch this and i wanted to mention i didn't watch any other movies this week but a few weeks ago uh elizabeth called me out i forgot to mention it and we had a really fun time watching uh jody hill and danny mcbride's first feature film that was filmed in my hometown dave where you came and stayed with us before Uh we went up to the mountains concord north carolina the one place we didn't Um, crash a drone it is called foot foot fist way and it is about like a small town taekwondo teacher okay and it's exactly their kind of movie you know just silly he's He's so intense. It's Eastbound and Dallas, that same kind of exact tone. It is awesome and hilarious. And I just, I just had so much fun watching it. Those guys are funny as shit. And they made it on like their own money. They came back from L.A. after graduating from film school, several years working here, not achieving at all the success that they wanted, odd jobbing, clawing away and getting tiny little jobs in the in the industry, but nothing great And they say, you know, fuck it. Let's just write something and let's go back to North Carolina and shoot something. It's worth renting and watching, folks. A lot of people think that. Yeah. 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 You should do that. You got to go home and make your shit. Guns going off (laughs) everywhere. Jeff, you were missed. It's coming right for us.
0: Yeah. You're funnier
1: than both of us. Come back on and and tell funny things. Uh, We almost had uh, any listeners who remember Mr. Jack Daniel, uh, the... The wonderful guest who came on for um, uh, the verdict and what else? One, one more thing. He was definitely with us for the verdict. Grease yeah, we two. did him dirty
0: on his first episode because we made him <laughs> review Grease Two. So.
1: Why was it the verdict and Grease Two? Um,
0: what, because why, because what, we were doing were we were we doing, doing three movies and one of them were from that year was was it really that bad?
1: But and those Grease... were, oh my god were those the same year <laughs> the verdict yeah. and Grease Two?
0: <laughs> I, oh, anyway, maybe the verdict um, was a separate episode. Because he was on our, remember. he was wasn't he on our Halloween special as well? One of them, did he join no, us, for so. he Jack, us for the Halloween He joined us for the end remember, of year man. recap. He joined us for the end of year recap. I remember that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, we're gonna have him back on. He almost yeah. came on today. He couldn't um, work his VCR. open to have. So, uh, uh yeah. Honestly, <laughs> Jack, if you're listening, we're gonna get you on, buddy. We're gonna give you enough time yeah. so you can fucking watch the movie. I know I hit you up too late. Uh, next week. Hopefully, if my co-hosts agree to it, we're going to have Dasein back on the show doing a that little promotion guy. work.
0: I mean... Um, that
1: fucking yeah. guy. Oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he just had a new music release, so hopefully he'll be back on, and then ho- we're going to have some other guests join us for these um, these uh, Random Year Generators. This is just way too much fun. Speaking What's so cool about talking generators. about old movies... Hold on. What's so cool about talking about the old movies is I feel like even those of us, who, it's not like we were alive or of an adult age to go see movies from 1958 but we all came to them at different times so it's still mm. fun because these movies have like they're loaded or experiences with these anyway dave what are we doing next week dude let's find out sound effect sfx oh my god you just noticed that the didn't greatest you? the greatest year <laughs> of movie history (laughs) we have 1970 fucking six we have already been to this year with Mm. wonderful great acclaim and experiences last time we were here we talked about two movies we were still doing two good movies and one wasn't really that bad we did network taxi driver and what was it really that bad i guess it was really that bad so we just didn't
0: yeah that wasn't <laughs> so the infamous well, that to... wasn't the infamous stay hungry year was it oh lord it may have been dude good oh.
1: call uh start, Cinema, i'm, I'm cast, angry just mentioning it 1976 <clears throat> yeah dude i think you, i think i think that might be it uh i'm entering it right now just because i i have to laugh the pot bay doors oh my god stay hungry it was, dude. Uh, it was that. Oh, no. Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, Jeff Bridges,
0: one of Jeff's you want to, uh, Dave's you want to hear, least yeah, favorite movies of you all to, time. Yeah, if you want to hear me go off, that's the episode to listen to.
1: <laughs> that's great. Well, people, stay tuned to the socials. Uh, we are going to uh, put it up ahead of time what movie we're going to be doing, but I encourage you to enjoy your fucking self and watch as many 1976 movies as you can because that was a crazy fucking year. That was year. a good
0: year. Mm. Yeah.
1: All right. All right. Jeff, you a missed. Film fans, thank you for listening. Dave, this was awesome. Yeah. See you next week. Good job, dude. Peace.